0: Let's pray together before we turn to God's Word. Lord, we come to you and we, we ask for your help in these moments. Um, Lord God, this account of uh, the, the taking up of Elijah to heaven is so familiar to, to many. Uh, but Lord God, we uh, fall before you and we ask that you would uh, speak to us from this portion of Scripture. Please help us to see what you want us to see from this. Uh, We pray that you would instruct us tonight, and we pray uh, that you would glorify yourself, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would make us from this uh, doers of the word, and uh, we commit uh, this to you. Please incline your ear. Please also speak, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of the most famous lines in all of movie history is a line that is heard in the 1994 film, The Usual Suspects. Uh, The baddie in the film, Kaiser Soze, he says the following, it's a famous line, he says, The greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he didn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he didn't exist. For tonight's purposes, I want to amend Kaiser Soze's phrase. For the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the church that the church is without power. The greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the church that we are without power. Do you follow? Surely you agree that the church in the 21st century, especially in the West, we are suffering from an inferiority complex. Are we not? We look at small groups of believers scattered throughout scotland in a hostile angry environment and we in our heart of hearts ask well what good can we really do in a nation like this or we look at the apparent ineffectiveness of our witness amongst our unbelieving family and an unbelieving friends and we throw our hands up in despair an inferiority complex but is that right Is that how it should be? I mean, are we really helpless? Well, this evening, what I want us to do is to take this wonderful section of Scripture where Elijah is translated up into heaven and want us to look at it, expound it, examine it. But what I also want us to do is to compare this account with a later event, to compare this Elijah's translation, and to compare it with the later ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ to glory. And as we do that, what I think we will see and be struck by tonight is our strength. We will see tonight that that resurrection power that we marveled at this morning, the resurrection power of God, that that by the grace of God really is at the disposal of us of the people of God. We will marvel from here at the strength and the power of the church by the grace of God. And so, if you would turn, if you have not done so, to 2 Kings chapter 2. Have it in front of you. And let's get back to normality. And let's think about three features uh, from this portion of scripture. So 2nd Kings. Have you got it there? 2nd Kings chapter 2. So first thing that I think stands out from this portion of scripture is this. It is the rehearsing of Israel's history. So you have Elijah. You have Elisha. But the first thing that I want us to notice is the rehearsing of Israel's history that we see in this portion of scripture. Now, I'll start with a confession. Uh, truth be told... Uh, I think I had this story completely wrong, or certainly slightly wrong in my mind for for many, many years, like you, like lots of us. I read this as a kid. I was taught this as a kid. This is how I thought the story went. Uh, I thought the story was Elijah and Elisha going on this walk together, walking together, walking together, walking together, when all of a sudden, surprising (laughs) to everybody, shocking to everyone, suddenly chariots of fire. And Elijah is whisked up to heaven. That's how I thought it happens. Is it right? Look at verse 1. I thought this big, shocking, surprising thing happens here. Look at verse 1. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven, do you see what that does? It kind of gives the game away. Straight away, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven, and indeed, do you not notice throughout this section that everybody seems to know in advance that this was about to happen? This wasn't this big shock, this big surprise. Everybody knows in advance. So Elijah knows that this is about to happen. Elisha knows. There's even these sons of the prophets of the Lord. All of them seem to be entirely aware of this. So everybody knows about this event. Now, I think there were or are a couple of details that probably every one of us recognized when it was read out for us. A couple of things. Surely we all notice, first of all, the stubbornness of Elisha. Did you notice how stubborn he is here? Uh, if we put up verse two on the screen, if we can, I think it's maybe, maybe it's out of humility, maybe not. Maybe it's a test. But Elijah asks Elisha, doesn't he, repeatedly to to stay behind. How does Elisha react to this? He's he's having none of that. He's like a disobedient dog. Isn't he? Or a cat? or He's like Ruth with Naomi. Isn't he? Do you see that he is absolutely unwilling to leave his master's side? Did you see he's sticking right by Elijah for all of this? That's the first thing. You must have noticed that, did you? The second thing you probably all noticed as well is the geographical precision... Of this text, did you notice it? You, you must have done. Like we are not told here that Elijah and Elisha just went for this, you know, ambiguous long walk together. Do you notice it? It's mapped out on Google Maps for us. The direction is is there. Do you notice that in verse one and two that all of the actual place names? are mentioned, repeated, spelled out for you. So they start off, there's Gilgal. Where it is, then there's Google Maps, you follow it. And then it's Bethel. And, and then it's, it's, Jer- it's in Jericho. It's, it's all incredibly precise. Do you not ask why? Do you see why? Think back to the book of Joshua again. Come on, what are these names here? Is it ringing a bell yet? Think of the book of Joshua, Jericho, into Gilgal, into Bethel. Do you see what's happening here? Elijah and Elisha are retracing the journey that the people of God took as they came into the promised land. Elijah and Elisha are retracing the steps of the the people of of God here. And even if you didn't get that, and and that's fine if you didn't get that, there is definitely a detail here that you did recognize. Let's put up verse 8 Elijah and Elisha get to the River Jordan. And what does Elijah do? He stands at the bank of the River Jordan. He, 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 he hits the water. Doesn't, he splits the water. And they pass over in dry land. Who's that? Come on, who's that? Moses? And no, River Jordan? Who's this? This is, this is Joshua. Do, do you see what's going on here? To emphasize... This moment's significance, to emphasize how important this moment is, Elijah is rehearsing the history of the people of God to show us how important it is he is rehearsing the history of Israel. Can I just pause for a second? (coughs) You know this story. I said that I read this when I was a kid. Was it read to you as a child? No doubt it appeared in your storybook Bible when you were little, perhaps. But can I ask you, have you ever, as, a, as an adult Christian, really pondered why this happens? Why does he not die? Why, does, why is he translated to heaven in, in this man? What, how would you answer that? Why is it? Can, can I make to you at least one suggestion? I think part of the reason for this miracle... It really is to teach us about that later event. I think part of the reason for this is to explain to us, unpack for us, more of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. I really believe that's why, part of the reason why this is there. And in light of that, can you, I ask you, can you see a wonderful parallel that exists between Elijah's translation and Jesus' ascension? Can can you see it? Think about it for a moment. Prior to Jesus' ascension, did our Lord too not rehearse the history of Israel? Prior to his ascension, did the Lord not walk in his people's steps, yet without sin? In fact, is that not an essence, the essence of Jesus' ministry? To rehearse our history, walk in our steps, Absolutely absent of sin. In fact, do you know scripture? Isn't that one of the main themes of Matthew's gospel? It is, isn't it? Who is Jesus? Matthew would tell you, He's the true Israel, wouldn't He? What does Matthew do at the beginning of his gospel? He traces Jesus' lineage, like Israel, back to Abraham. Matthew has Jesus go down to Egypt, like Israel. Only so that Jesus, like Israel, can be taken out of Egypt. Matthew has Jesus go into the wilderness like Israel to be tempted. I could go on. I do not need to. You see it. As one writer says, Jesus summarizes. Jesus repeats Israel's history. Why? In order to secure the blessings promised to Abraham. Isn't it wonderful? Before our Lord ascended, Jesus too retraced Israel's steps to secure the covenant promises for you. Do you think tonight that you are absent of power, powerless, helpless? Yes, we are sinners, but don't you see what Christ has done? He has walked before you, absent of sin, to secure your salvation and done it all before he ascended and ascended to glory. So we see here a rehearsing, do we? A rehearsing of Israel's history. Elijah and Elisha, they go on this journey, specific journey. Second thing that I want us to notice is the relaying of God's power. Have you got it? The relaying of God's power. So are you with me so far? Elijah, Elisha have walked. They have then crossed the River Jordan. I tell you what, I think it'd be helpful if we would read what happens next together. So can I, can I ask you to look at verses 9 and 10? So they've crossed the Jordan together, Elijah and Elisha. Let's look at this critical moment in the heart of the section. Would you read it with me? When they'd crossed, Elijah says to Elisha, Ask what I should do for you before I am taken from you. And what does Elisha ask for? please. Please, let there be a double portion. You got it? A double portion of your spirit on me. Now, he's asking for a double portion. I think there's a mistake that we could make with that. What what do you think he's asking for? A double portion. We could think the only thing he's asking for is twice the power that Elijah had to be on him. Now that's great, okay, fine. But actually, what I think is in view there is what is said in Deuteronomy 21 about inheritance. Please listen. So, according to Deuteronomy 21, the firstborn son was to receive not just a share, but because of his status, the firstborn son was to receive guess what? A double portion. Of the inheritance. now, in light of that, do you see actually what Elisha is asking for? He's asking to continue in the family work of Elijah. He cries out, "My father, my father!" He's seen, hasn't he, his spiritual father in the Lord? Elijah. He's seen him rain down fire from heaven, he's seen him proclaim the word of God. He's seen him just part of the waters. And now Elisha, he longs for nothing more than to continue that family work, continue where Elijah has left off. And can I ask you, how is that request received? We look at verse 13, how is it received? We're told that after Elijah departs, Elisha too. Imagine the excitement for him. He stands on the banks of the Jordan. This is Elisha now. What is Elisha able to do? He now parts the waters and is able to cross on dry land. Friend, do you see what's going on here? We think 2 Kings 2, if you're anything like me, you think it's all about a translation to heaven. What's the critical aspect It's about a transition of power, isn't it? What's happening here is the very spirit of the Lord being passed from Elijah and being passed on, being handed over to Elisha. Again, let me pause. What did we uh, say at the start? What were we going to do? We were going to explore this, examine it. But we're also going to compare this with the later ascension of Jesus Christ. As you tonight think and compare these two things, do you not see perhaps the main lesson here? Surely it's this, that the ascension of Jesus occurred to effect a transfer of resurrection power to the church. Can I say it again? that the ascension of Jesus, just like here, the ascension of Jesus occurred so that there would be a translation, a transition of resurrection power to the church. Isn't it true that nearly every occurrence in his ministry where Jesus talks about his coming departure, at nearly every every occurrence Jesus explains that he is leaving in order to pass on the spirit of God to his people nearly every time you know those references better than I do I'm sure John 14 he's with the 12 he says I'm about to leave why and he says to send to you another helper Then Luke 24, what does he say? Just about to ascend, stay, stay, he says in this city, until you are clothed with power on high. And then Crawford comes up and he reads Acts chapter 1, just as Jesus is about to ascend. Why is he doing it? What does he say? What do we learn? He does it to enable the coming of the very Spirit of God upon the church. Do you see the point? Like Elijah Jesus ascended in order to enact a transfer <laughs> with Christ Jesus too. There is the relaying of the Spirit of the Lord to whom? To his family. To his children. To you and to me. And I think that should tr- completely transform everything for us. See, I think that church in Scotland today is a little bit like a man. A man called Freddie Adu. I wonder, has anybody heard of Freddie Adu? Freddie Adu was a child prodigy maybe 20 years ago. He was a football child prodigy. Uh, At the age of 13 years old, 12 or 13 years old, uh, Freddie Adu was uh, signed up by a massive American sports manufacturer for over a million dollars with a child a boy who's 12 years old and mad into football. I cannot imagine the danger of being given a million dollars. What would be purchased with that? Then came in a massive European superpower football club, and they signed up Freddie Adu. And everybody who knew anything about football knew this name, and they knew Freddie Adu was going to be the next greatest thing. His skill was unbelievable. What happened? He had a few bad games, and Freddie Adu just seemed to lose all confidence I mean, the ability was still there. The capability was still there. But he just had lost sight of it. He lost confidence. And I think I am right in saying that Freddie Adu, as it speaks tonight, as I speak to you tonight, I think he's plying his trade in the Finnish second division. You are finished if you are plying your trade in the Finnish second division. Freddie Adu. But is that not in a sense What we are like as Christians, is that not what we are like, that we have lost confidence a little, lost sight of the ability, we fail to appreciate, I think, that even tonight, by the grace of God, because of this transfer of resurrection power, in a sense, you and I stand on the banks of the River Jordan. Spiritually speaking, we are able to smash the water. We are able, by the grace of God, to part the waters, to bring people across do you see that the spirit of the master has been passed on to us the abiding work of the holy spirit Do you see that same spirit that enabled jesus to fulfill his earthly ministry this same spirit that raised jesus to life it is at our disposal by the goodness of god the mercy of god the grace of god and i think that changes everything i think it should change our attitude to Christian service, to witnessing. I think it should change the, our attitude to the other people in this room and in our, in our church. How do you think of us as you look around? Are we powerless? A group of strange people without much effect and power in Scotland? Oh, please remember that there's the abiding work, the indwelling power here of the very third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit of God. I mean St. Peter's. Spiritually speaking. We are more powerful than Joe Biden. We are more powerful spiritually than Boris. More powerful than Vladimir Putin. By the work of God. The grace of God. And the power of God. We really can. Go out into Dundee. And we really can, by God's grace, have effect. We really can this week speak to unbelieving colleagues and flatmates and family and by God's grace being heard. Why? Because he is risen. And before he ascended, Christ Jesus has transferred to you, the church of Jesus Christ, a double portion. A double portion of his breathtaking, life-changing power. And then the last thing. So we see a rehearsing of Israel's history. We see a relaying of God's power in this section. But then thirdly and lastly, we see the return. The return of the man of God. So you can see what we've been doing. We've been holding up these two ascensions, Elijah, the Lord Jesus. We have thus far... If you followed, we have noticed parallels, haven't we? Similarities almost here. But as we close, I think we have to address the difference. The difference in the actual translations to heaven. Now, see, please, think about what exactly happens with Elijah. If we put up verse 11, and if you can look at it, verse 11... Doesn't it blow your mind? Doesn't it? Read it with new eyes. We're told that, yes, uh, perhaps in a sense, suddenly, we're talking about chariots of fire. (laughs) They separate these two men. That seems to be what happens here. And then there is a whirlwind. (laughs) That's the vehicle that brings Elijah up to heaven. Isn't it dramatic? Come on, isn't it majestic? I can barely imagine what this looked like. Horses of fire, you know, flaming horses. The majesty of this, incredible. And then you compare that with the ascension of the Lord Jesus and with every respect, can I not say that, in a sense, Jesus' translation was, can we say, underwhelming? Where's the chariots? I want a horse as a fire. Where are they? There is no vehicle, really. We're simply told in the book of Acts that he was taken up in a cloud. Why? Why if Elijah has all of this drama and majesty, where is it for the very son of God? Well, I love what an old Scottish divine uh, said about this. A guy called Alexander McLaren, although we might not put all that much weight in it, it's a beautiful idea. He says that the, the, the variants in the different translations reflect the different type of ministries that Elijah had and the Lord Jesus had. So the difference in the ascension reflects the different types of ministry. I mean, think about Elijah's ministry. Power and guts and glory and taking on Ahab, yes? Slaughtering all of the prophets of of Baal. His was a ministry of all displays of guts and glory. And what about our Lord? Uh, a ministry in, in some senses of, of humiliation or oh, humility, a life, a life of of pain and meekness and gentleness, our lord 's death, a death of shame, he became a lamb, a sacrificial lamb to bear the punishment for our sin. Could it be that that life of humiliation accounts for the lack of pomp, the lack of circumstance at our Lord's translation? Regardless, there is but one last and final note that I think needs to be sounded from Second Kings chapter 2. Because I need to ask you this as we close. Is this the last we hear of Elijah? He is translated to glory. He is taken up to glory. Is this the last that we hear of Elijah? We know the answer, don't we? We should do because Will preached on this a few weeks ago. (laughs) We know that in the Old Testament book of Malachi, chapter 4, a word of the Lord comes. And there's a promise that Elijah would come again. And it's a prophecy, isn't it, that we know, we know where it's fulfilled. We know that it's fulfilled in John the Baptist. But the point that I want you to linger on is imagine what that means for the people of God. That means for years, no, for centuries, the people of God waited in eager anticipation For the return of this one that they have just seen ascend. They waited in eager anticipation for Elijah's return. He ascends. They wait for his return. And so you can see where I'm going. You can see surely the last, the final, the greatest perhaps parallel here. What did it say in the book of Acts? What did the angels say in the book of Acts? They said... That this one, the Lord Jesus Christ ascending, would one day return in the manner of his departure. He would return. That, right now, here, throughout the world, the people of God on this Easter Sunday, yes, we remember the resurrection, but we are living in eager anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. We live in eager anticipation of the one who has ascended. And so I end with... The question for you, are you doing that tonight? Christian friend, first of all. Are you waiting in eager anticipation of the Lord's return? Does that affect and inform the way that you are living right now? Does it? Have you got one eye on the fact that Christ is soon to come back? He's coming back. Are you living ready right now seeking to use that resurrection power at our disposal for God's glory in the very, 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 very very short time that you have on this earth have you got one eye on the parousia Christ's return and then for the person who is not a Christian in this room or at home watching on do you understand it's true Christ is coming back And he is coming back soon. That though, (laughs) there was perhaps no majesty in a sense at his first departure. Take it from me, there will be majesty when Christ returns. That's when we'll see the fire and the flames and the whirlwind. That's when the drama will unfold. And if you on that day are found not to have trusted in Jesus Christ in this short, short time you have on this earth friend, that return of Christ will be a dreadful, dreadful day for you. Friends, Christian friends, let us not forget who we are. The church is the most powerful organization, the most powerful body there has ever been. So what are we going to do? Let's go out and strike the waters in Dundee Let's go out, part the waters. Let's go out and in God's power, let's drag people across to the promised land. Christ is risen and he is soon coming back. Friends, let's bow and pray. Gracious Father God, we thank you for this great story of Elijah's translation to glory. We thank you for that great work. We thank you for how it informs our understanding of Christ's ascension. We thank you that Jesus is risen, and we thank you for that resurrection power. We thank you this evening on this Easter morning, we see the transfer of that resurrection power, the very Spirit of God to the Church of Christ. Help us to seek to rest in your power every moment we have until Christ returns. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen.